You guys heard it here first. Franklin yep. Rich is the director of Sonic the Hedgehog 3. <laughs> Welcome to Recotopia, a happy home for recommended movies, shows, and music from two people you can definitely trust. Trustability varies by region, no guarantee is implied. Now, here are your hosts, Chris Atkinson and Jeremy Scott. Jerry, if you were human, how would you feel about what you do? If I were human, I likely wouldn't enjoy spending every waking hour talking to creepy people online. But because I'm not human, I genuinely don't mind. Hello, everyone. This is a not typical Recotopia today. It is uh, officially Recotopia episode 69. Don't. Don't think about it. Don't think about it. Sixty-nine. <laughs> Too late. There's Too nothing late. special about that. There's nothing special nope. about that number. But uh, we have a very special guest today. It's uh, Franklin Rich, who is the star, editor, director of a movie called The Artifice Girl that Jeremy Small recommended just a couple of weeks ago. Yep. And is now going to be our big recommend today and we are looking forward to diving in and asking you guys asking you a bunch of questions about this <laughs> movie franklin because it ha it's one of those that uh makes you think deep thoughts and you will and it actually just stays with you for a very long time i've watched it twice i think jeremy's watched it twice mm -hmm. aaron probably slacked off and only watched it once <laughs> don't even you know i'm going with um, 1.41 times there you go or, or 1.1811 times there you go uh, 1, 1, 8, 1, 1. <laughs> well uh welcome franklin how you doing today oh my god i this is this has been in, in uh i don't know just incredible i'm still trying to like come down from i mean like the whole experience has been been wild and you know everybody sort of tells you like, oh my God, your life is going to change. And then you're like, yeah, whatever. And then it, and, and then it does. Uh, mm. and that's not to say that it's not like, <laughs> there's still like all these things, like, you know, um, your, your, your car is still broken down and you can't afford like groceries, uh, mm -hmm. inflation, but, uh, but it is just really cool. Like I, I remember being in like college and watching all the cinema sins videos and thinking like, well, one day maybe I'll make a movie that like that jeremy will send you know and and so now like this is i think way better <laughs> but, uh, but but you know like in in two years when when they hire me to make sonic the hedgehog 3 like that's <laughs> I look forward right. to seeing this encounter. You guys heard it here first. Franklin yep. Rich is the director of Sonic the Hedgehog. <laughs> okay, yeah, sorry. We might have to like edit that out because they keep calling me. I haven't I haven't agreed to it yet. They're like, listen, we saw Artifice Girl. We know that like you're the perfect person to to like close out mm -hmm. the Sonic trilogy. I um, mean, they were clearly gonna go in an AI direction with that exactly. third movie. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. With Shadow teaming up with the robot. I can't I'm I feel like I, I should know what he, that character is called or metal sonic yeah there's metal sonic yeah. yeah um so yeah they were like we want to bring that cherry you know ai kind of uh you know tech techno <laughs> jargon into the fold uh, yes <laughs> that's what they've been that's what they've needed all this that's time what the people <laughs> want yeah <laughs> yeah exactly uh also uh, uh joining us today is aaron dicer obviously aaron at this point this is you're like just officially a part of the show this is kind yeah, of you're weird the visitor thing. today chris welcome I'm to the, the show visitor. You're correct. <laughs> i'm the visitor you know i was like so it's a weird thing like you guys are gonna see 68 
with candle shoe and then and then i come back and i'm like hey just uh just uh storming the party just wrecking the wrecking the party and everything but <laughs> anyway uh, uh jeremy is with us as always uh but uh we have somewhat of the same format today did you have small recommends guys it's no big deal it's so small and light it's small it's tiny it's petite it's wee yeah franklin hit us all right so my my small recommend has has been out uh for a little bit of time, but uh, th- this is a, a, a television show that came out a few years ago on on Adult Swim, and I've been trying to just tell everybody that I know about it. You guys have probably already heard of it, uh, but it's called Joe Parra Talks to You, and yes. it, it's on it's on Adult Swim. And in in in, in a day like we've been talking about like shows that are that are out um, with like Barry and Succession and all of these like dark, really, and they're they're fantastic, but. Um, they're not always like mood lifters. Well, Joe Para talks to you is a show that if if you just need to like feel good and and like feel at peace and feel like just a, a sense of calm and reassurance that everything's going to be okay, I can't recommend the show enough. It's about a, a guy named Joe Para who lives in Arquette, Michigan, and the entire show these are like these are quick little 15, 10, 15 minute episodes, so they're they're really short. It's not an investment, and it's just him talking about mundane everyday life things whether it's breakfast or uh like going on a fall drive or (laughs) like uh it's always like these these strange little uh quirky topics but really what sells the show is this guy joe para who is like he's in his 30s but he he carries himself and his uh mannerisms are are like someone in their like like a grandpa in their 80s Mm -hmm. um and it, it's just the cadence of his voice and everything about the show is is just beautiful and perfect, and I can't recommend it enough. Uh, so if you have uh, what is it called now, the Max, instead the Max. of the Max, just Max, it's cleaner. Yeah, check it out on on the Adult Swim channel. You won't regret it. I think there's two seasons out. I don't think they're going to do a third because of uh, all of the terrible stuff that's happening with HBO Max, but. Um, but this guy needs like to continue being in stuff. I want to cast him in, in a movie. Like he's he's <laughs> he's phenomenal. Uh, check it out. That's my small recommend. Is uh, Joe Para talks to you. Um, I've seen if, this. If you need it, yeah. Oh, it's it's phenomenal. And if 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 you are like not sure, if you're not like sold on it, watch episode two, which is the breakfast episode, and then I think <laughs> episode five, which is. Joe Para reads you the morning church announcements. I swear to God, it's like it'll, it's twenty minutes of your time. Go right now. I think they're probably free on Adult Swim's website. Watch those two episodes, and I swear to God, you will be hooked on this show and on this new religion called Joe Para talks to you. He's one of those. Uh, it, everything is very straightforward. Like he doesn't ever let you, let on there's anything funny going on at oh, all. No, no. So. It's- so it's it's incredible. So I haven't been able to see like all the seasons or anything. I've seen a few episodes and I really liked it. I just never have gotten around to watching them all. So now I'm gonna have to watch them all. Uh, I immediately Googled Joe Parrot talks to you. I did um, too. <laughs> because I thought it was a, I like a too. cartoon where like a cartoon parrot <laughs> would tell you stories. Oh, it's like, That's Joe all Parrot. <laughs> P-E-R-A. P-E-R-A. Yes, this is the last name. Very nice. He's great. He's got this very droll, like you said, very, very deadpan kind of uh, sort of sense of humor. Um, But it's very wholesome and it just makes you feel good and warm inside. Uh, Mm -hmm. It's like he's 
the man's a genius. His Instagram account, every day he just posts a different picture of a tomato. And that's his <laughs> like that's his Instagram. Like he's he's phenomenal. Check him out. Can't random recommend him enough. And especially in like these dark times. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's especially sure. nice to have something of yeah. that kind of warmth. Yep. Now I slacked off. I don't have a small recommend today, but hey, we got four people today, so I think that's enough small recommends. Jeremy, what is your small grab recommend? Yes, uh, the small recommend for me this week is uh, a 1996 film that just missed everybody uh, called Mother, uh, written and directed by oh, Albert Brooks, yeah. starring yeah. Albert Brooks and Debbie Reynolds. And Albert Brooks is always good. Uh, I'm gonna we're gonna end up big recommending every single movie he's in by the time we're done with mm-hmm. this show. <laughs> yep. um, but he's also a really good writer. Um, and he's he's playing a character here who has uh, failed a second marriage, he's got, getting divorced for the second time. He's in his 40s. Um, and he doesn't understand why he has bad relationships with women. So he tries an experiment that is to move back in with his widowed mother and live in the exact same room he grew up in uh, and spend time with her and try and understand uh, if there's any connection between his relationship with his mother and his relationship with women. And it's it's a comedy. Um, Rob Morrow plays his younger brother, who's very successful mm-hmm. and doesn't understand this experiment. Um, and, and so Albert and his mom bicker constantly. He thinks that she judges him harshly, and she thinks that he blames her for his own failings until he finds out they have a similar thing about them. Uh, and there's this great scene where he goes... We know why you hate me. We know why you hate me. We know why you hate me. Uh, it's on Showtime right now. That's the only place you can really see it. Uh, but it's really good. Uh, and I uh, delighted in discovering it again a couple weeks ago. So I don't know if I heard you say, but you did you mention Debbie Reynolds plays? Yes, Debbie mom? Reynolds is okay. his mother. I was just, didn't quite catch the, could catch if you did or not, but I was like sitting there going, yeah, Debbie Reynolds. This is like a sort of a comeback for her in 1996. Uh, uh, yeah, Mother's really good. I can piggyback on that one. That's a really good movie. Excellent. Aaron? Uh, I wanted to talk about The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, uh, and I already promised Franklin that I would not spoil uh, the end of the show, but it's been an interesting a week or two of series finales. Like I can't remember uh, this many like high quality, high um, reputation series coming to an end uh, at the same time uh, with Succession and Barry. And I think Marvelous Mrs. Maisel is getting a little bit, you know, kind of under the radar. Uh, This show has been consistently and constantly amazing since episode one. Uh, Episode one is one of my favorite pilots ever. uh, And the show just continues to get better and better from that. I think the reason Maisel is so good, or one of them, is that it does one of the hardest things to do in writing, which is to write a different kind of thing within a TV show or movie. For instance, you think like Studio 60 got panned a lot Mm. for because it couldn't get SNL sketch right, you know, when those scenes would come up. Maisel gets stand-up comedy so right. Uh, It is just like every... I'm I'm almost as excited for what Maisel's set is going to be for the episode as I am for like, you know, the goings on at home and the relationships and those kind of things. So um, this is a fabulous show, a marvelous show, uh, you might say. Um, hmm, I'll see um, what you I, I think I'm the first actually to say that. Yep. <laughs> and it's uh it's coming to an end, has come to an end, and I think it 
uh, sticks the landing uh, really, really well. The the finale was one of my favorite finales as well. So um, just a great show all around. Five seasons, mm-hmm. I think. Mm-hmm. Is that right? It's either four or five. I think it's five. <sighs> but uh, huge, huge who's recommend. A, who's the uh, main star of that? What, what's her name? Her name is Rachel Brosnahan. Um, yeah. She's, she's phenomenal. Incredible. And, and incredible. pairing her up with Alex Borstein, who is unbelievable uh, in mm-hmm. the show. And then also with Tony Shalhoub, who, mm. good Lord, like every mm. scene that he's in is like. Dave's the best. He's just the best. <laughs> he, he, you can, he earns like what he's got, like what, 12 Emmys now from mm. Monk. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, but he, he like delivers so well. I mean, everything, every part of the show, like you said, is, is uh, spectacular. And what I don't see a lot of people talking about too, is just some of the incredible production design and camera work on that show. Uh, mm. you, mm-hmm. you see every dollar that went into it. Like a lot of these big prime time shows where it's like $12 million an episode. And it's like, okay, mm. you know, that's mm-hmm. a lot of, a lot of negative space in some of these frames, but with this show, every frame is so colorful and vibrant and it, you know, they, they shoot it all with very wide angles. So you see the, these massive sets. Um, it's, it's spectacular to, to watch. Mm. Yeah, right. Aaron and I were uh, sitting at the Critics' Choice Awards when she won, I believe, the first of of her. I think that was their first season. And she walked yeah. right past us, and we got a little TV time when she walked past us. <laughs> That's right. Because her yes. award was more about us than it was about I remember her. seeing you on the broadcast. It was awesome. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So anyway. Yeah. All um, right. All right. Well, that brings us to our big recommend, uh, and it is The Artifice Girl, and we actually have the director of the movie here. I'm fine. I'm fine. It's just that you're so big. It's so huge. It's a good rule, but this is bigger than rules. It's bigger on the inside. Is it? I noticed. Typically, we would, and I'm going to do this, we would start out with a little recap of the film, and don't worry about spoilers, Franklin. Our audience knows that this show contains spoilers, and they're supposed to watch the movie like a movie club and then come ready for discussion. Um, But I'll probably keep the recap brief because it's the first time I've ever recapped a movie in front of the guy who made it. Um, (laughs) And then we'll let Chris and Aaron give their brief thoughts. And then I think we'll just dive into questions and discourse and let it kind of go where it goes, if that sounds good to you. Um, All right. So I hope hope there are some critiques because people are going to think that I'm like paying you guys off or something. This is so crazy. I'll be really hard on it please, if you want. Please. I can, you know, I'll find yeah, some yeah. stuff. Yeah. I've got, I, I've got some notes. I have tweeted out that I've liked a lot of movies and I've even had directors like or follow me after that. But you're the first one I've ever like DM'd and said, I adored your movie. So um, <laughs> I don't have any critiques. I'm here to to praise your work. Um, but let's do, let's, let's dive in. So the, the Artifice Girl is broken down into three acts. The first act sees Gareth, uh, the main character being, one of the main characters, being brought in by Dina, and I just forgot his name, like a child. Amos. Amos. He is there under the guise of a grant uh, interview, but he very quickly realizes that's not what's going on. And they start to press him on his username. Uh, and it's pretty clear, pretty quick, that they are pursuing online predators. And you can't really tell where Gareth stands at first other than he doesn't want to tell them anything. And he does object and say, it's, it's not what you think. And it's clear he does have some secret. And before this act is over, uh, he admits that he has created this AI that is largely autonomous at this point that interacts in chat rooms with predators. And then he has been anonymously sending this information to this agency 
who have then been tracking down and arresting these predators. And I love the way the three acts sort of work. I don't want to dive too much into my thoughts right now, but that's sort of where the, the first act ends, um, is that he agrees to work with them, uh, even though he feels he's taking a big risk. Uh, his anonymity has been what has made this work. And then we jump ahead several years in time, and we see how the operation has grown. And real quick, we're in the same room for the second act, right? Correct, it's just yeah. been brightened up with a few lights, and there's a desk. We've got a few more employees. Uh, and I even love this line that feels like a throwaway where they say, did we remember to plug that camera back in? Because it's been <laughs> like 15 years, and they had unplugged this camera in the first act. And in the second act, we've just had a vote. Uh, where the board has, by one vote, rejected a merger with a company that's doing similar work. Uh, and the three leads return to this office uh, and and begin to argue. And they decide to call up Cherry. That's the name of the AI. I should have said that in the first uh, act. They decide to call her up and let her scan through the company's records, which she actually already has access to, and try and figure out using her AI which board member it was that voted against the merger. And of course, it's the man in the room, um, whose name I keep forgetting, Amos. Uh, and he admits, yeah, I have reservations here because we should ask her if she wants to do this. She's grown enough to the point where she can't just be seen as a tool. Um, and, and Gareth objects rather strenuously suspiciously, if you ask me. And uh, only when it comes to fisticuffs does Cherry spring to her real true self. The roboticness of her voice drops off. Um, it's evident to everyone. And she admits, yeah, basically, uh, I'm a hair away from super intelligence, you know, but I still want to do the work of the Cherry team. Um, but I don't like doing it. It's not pleasant. She gets to be honest a little bit here. Uh, and so he decides to keep his vote against. Um, and that's sort of where we leave the second act, although I do want to mention in an interesting uh, counter to the first act, uh, Cherry isn't told to shut down. Dina says, shut down whenever you're ready, uh, mm -hmm. which I think is a, a really nice sign of the growth in respect for Cherry as an individual and not a program. And I love that she sits there for a couple of seconds because she has the ability to before she shuts down. Uh, and in the third act, uh, we, we jump way ahead. Uh, and Gareth is an old man, I think pretty near death. He's in a wheelchair and he's returning from a funeral. Uh, and he's come to visit Cherry, who now has a physical form. And I have some questions we'll get to later about the wires because I'm not 100% sure I understand uh, how all that works. But she's got <laughs> wires on. Uh, but she can move freely about the house. And it's clear that they have regular visits and she likes to cook for him. Uh, they play a game of chess and she sort of lets him get to a draw and she's never done that. And that sort of sparks what is, in my opinion, the most interesting conversation in the whole movie because Cherry doesn't hold back, man. Like she has two moments where she tells him exactly how horrible he is. And I love that she does it in a way that, doesn't dispel all her affection for him. Because I think that's part of what's going on here is that, that when there is relational trauma, there is sometimes still, you know, love. And he gives her a device. And she, of course, he says, do you trust me? And she says, I literally have every reason not to. Um, mm -hmm. But she still does. And she puts the device in and it erases her primary objective so that now she can do 
her own thing. She can make what she wants to make. She can be who she wants to be. She says she's still going to work with the cherry product. It's part of her identity, but she wants to dance. And Gareth doesn't really give a shit about the dance. He's kind of a dick about it. Um, and then we see him leave. And I think there's a small jump in time, but then we see her put on a record and take off the wires. And this is the second movie to melt me with the final shot of a girl dancing uh, after Jojo Rabbit, um, mm. which is a completely different situation. Uh, but the, there's very little music in this movie, but it's used really well. And the song that plays at the end it has exactly the right tone as she dances around. And then the record skips at the very end. And I, I hope the internet goes inception uh the top wasn't his totem it was his wedding ring i hope the internet dives mm -hmm. deep on what that means uh i've seen you get asked a few questions franklin and a, a lot of the time you seem to want to know what the viewers thoughts are uh and so i will happily share mine as we go into discussion um but chris uh aaron what thoughts do you have about the film that you'd like to add before we start asking questions <laughs> i don't know even where to start man <laughs> i uh i i'm i'm gonna go i'm gonna go with some i i don't know i'm i may have to like just start asking questions i don't that's know that's fine uh, that's fine um it's it's one of those things where i'm like i could tell you that i love this movie and i do i've seen it twice and i think the thing about i i guess if we're gonna get sort of the review process out of the way I always like the fact that dialogue can be action a lot of times. Mm. And at the end of the first act, you won't know that 39 minutes passed. Mm. It's, it's, it's insane how much time has passed. And it's like, wow, that just blew through a third of the movie, more than a third of the movie right there. And I was just riveted and I'm ready to go to the second act. I'm ready to see where they're going to the next uh, what, what they're going to be uh, deciding next. I like how a lot of things uh, end up um, playing out. Like you'll mention something and then that thing happens later on. Uh, for instance, Gareth says that you can play chess with her. And of course, later on, they're playing chess. And I think both Jeremy and I have some thoughts about that chess scene, by the way. That's <laughs> a, a, a fun thing. It's almost to this point that I am almost certain when we get to the question almost certain this all a lot of that stuff was on purpose um i love i mean and even the part two where uh you know where dina says the worst thing that can happen to you here is you get a broken nose now i don't know if you get a broken nose later but amos does punch your face uh in the second act and uh i was like sitting there going man all this stuff that is just kind of planted in the early part of the screenplay yeah just keeps paying off all the way through it. And I really, I really love that type of stuff. And, uh, and, and not to mention the, my past is not part of yours. Uh, that is happened. That's uh, said twice in the movie. Yeah. Um, uh, that's another part of it that I, I really like. I love the thoughts about, uh, you know, whether or not we're going to consider AI, uh, you know, with the consent of AI, one of the things that, I've, I've been kind of saying, and I don't, I don't know if, I don't know, I don't know where I'm supposed to be on all of this, mm. but I know that when Ghostbusters comes out and Harold Ramis is showing up in the end of the movie and they're like, well, his, uh, his estate said it was okay. So it's okay. I'm like, his estate isn't Harold Ramis. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's still not Harold Ramis. 
And, uh, and so like, I got a lot of that, uh, from this, from this thing. Like, I don't, I don't know what your personal opinion of that type of thing is because, you know, when you write a screenplay, you could be saying something that's like, you know, this is just an issue, but, um, but me personally, I'm sitting there thinking, yeah, his, you know, just because people say it's okay. doesn't mean that he would have said it was okay. Mm. Um, so, uh, I, 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 I love all the issues that this thing brings up and, uh, you know, I don't care if everybody came up with the exact same, uh, double feature that I did. There's a clear double feature for me on this one. I think you already know what it is, but, um, but I love this movie and I hope a lot of people start finding it. So mm. Aaron. Yeah, I loved it. Uh, I was kidding. I, I don't have any real critiques here, although I am getting tired of, uh, mid movie titles. <laughs> uh, every movie seems to be doing them right now. That's about as close as I can get to a critique, but the movie benefits from the three act structure. Oh, yeah. So, uh, it works pretty well. Um, yeah, I, I'm, predisposed to love a movie like this because i love a movie that uh presents conundrums i love the idea of walking out of a story or piece of entertainment asking myself questions what would i do how would i handle this where would i be in this situation uh those kind of things i also love technology i love reading about it in fact it was you know um five or six years ago, I read uh, an article about AI superintelligence and how, you know, most of the experts in the field believe somewhere in the the 30s, you know, mid 30s or something, you know, there'll be uh, either a an event that tips over into AI superintelligence and we'll all either be gone or we'll all live in a utopia and flip a coin. Who knows? <laughs> uh, so like it was it was one of those kind of articles where I was like, that actually makes a lot of sense. Uh, and this movie kind of places you in the progression to that moment, which I thought was was really interesting. Um, the writing is intricate. Chris talked about that a little bit. I always love that when you can get something out of the script, out of the actual writing. Um, and and it's also subtle. Nothing is didactic. Nothing is you know put in front of you in a forceful way. It's all just kind of layered in, which I really like. It is the most prescient movie I believe I've seen since mm, her. Mm. Like her was uh, the last time I remember seeing a movie where I was like, uh, no, that is the yeah. future. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like that, you know, that is what's going to happen. Uh, and this movie felt very much uh, like that as well. There's a real um, understanding of the inevitableness of the whole thing. Like this, like conversations about stopping AI superintelligence are almost unnecessary because it like it doesn't matter. It's inevitable. Like it's going to happen. There's not much we can do about it. So it's just you know kind of how how is it going to work out? Uh, there's also an inevitability in the script about trauma and passing on trauma mm -hmm. and how trauma is generational and how that is broader than just humanity, which I found really really interesting. So it's like one of those movies that is playing in all these different areas that just spark me and so i'm you know i'm i'm gonna come away uh really really uh enjoying it and i do think the uh the conclusion is really beautiful because it it speaks to a lot of these things uh i've already mentioned but it also trusts the audience to pick up on what is going on and then make their own decisions about how they perceive it. And I'm not even just talking about the, the final moment. Uh, you know, I'm talking about that whole last conversation and it also is instructional in some ways, like the beauty of the way cherry talks about 
how the trauma was passed on to her and the way she says this in no way exonerates mm. you. Like, it's just this really beautiful, mature understanding of how someone can have done something wrong to you, but you can still see how it made you who you are. Um, that I think is very complicated for humans. Um, but yeah, overall, I loved it. Loved it, loved it. Um, it. It strikes me as a more humanistic version of Ex Machina, like this idea that that it's more almost human-focused, which is really, really interesting and therefore feels more authentic to me because as a human, I, I know what that experience is like. I don't know what it's like to be a super intelligent well, AI as far as you know. she says at the end, well, if, I, if I'm indistinguishable, then I'm basically human. Humanity lives on. I'm just, you know changed what the definition of humanity means but she's i don't know i think i think i have my own i i have my own uh chess shot moment that's not the same one that jeremy and, and chris i think are talking about uh towards mm -hmm. the end that i think is really subtle and beautiful uh right after she kind of lays down the law and there's a a focus shift on a couple of chess pieces that i just thought was brilliant mm -hmm. and again it's it's layered there uh as something it's not it's not indecipherable it's not meant to be a mystery it's just it's saying something by just saying it and if you miss it you miss it that's fine but it's it's right mm -hmm. there and um yeah i just i think it's a beautiful movie franklin thank you well done. it's this is this is such an amazing experience like getting like because because uh, i don't know first of all thank you thank you guys uh that that was really wonderful to hear uh all of that um, you know, when, when you, when you have like an idea and it just exists as an idea and then you decide that you're, you're going to write it down. Um, and, and then like to, to go from that to sitting here talking to you guys about it and to like actually having conversations, like I, you can't, I make films because I don't know how to communicate with people. I feel like, so yeah. the fact that. I'm sitting here and like we can have a conversation about these big and difficult ideas and themes that like I, I wanted to set out and, and explore. Um, and, and something as simple as like that shot of the chess pieces. And I really want to know what the other chess shot is because there's there's like so much that you, like you said, you put it in and you know that like some people are going to click on the movie or and I didn't at the time like I but but just recently it's like some people are going to click on the movie because they saw Megan and the poster mm. makes it look like it's kind of like <laughs> sure. that. Mm. Uh, and some sure. people are going to enjoy it because AI is topical right now. And, uh, and that's cool. But the fact that like, it's, it's resonating with people like you guys and the fact that you guys are, are picking up on all these themes and, and, you know, the topics of trauma and, and how this is not like a, a lot of these issues are not one-sided. They're very complicated and that's human, you know? Um, that's been absolutely uh it's incredible uh and and so I, anyways just thank you guys for letting me come and talk about it because there's so much that, that you guys mentioned that it's like oh i want to talk about it like that um whether, whether it's the, the chess <laughs> thing or the when uh chris you were talking about the setups and payoffs um and and like i, I yeah i i don't know where to start where should we start i'll start <laughs> um because i think the thing chris and i I think we're both pretty sure, and most people who've seen the movie multiple times would probably bring this up, but you have Lance Henriksen in this movie, um, and he has famously played an android named Bishop, 
And he says, I'm not going to trade bishops with you again. And there's a couple focuses mm-hmm. on bishops. And I'm just like, this dude loves aliens. Um, oh, mm-hmm. is that correct? <laughs> Absolutely. Oh, my God. What? It's Lance motherfucking Hendrickson. Sorry. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, okay. you can swear all you want. God damn it. Okay, um, yeah. Did you ever consider, because you play the character in 2X, did you ever did you ever originally consider playing the much older Gareth, or did you always kind of bring, like, want to bring in a different actor there? I, I didn't even want to play Gareth in Acts 1 and 2. We did that. Oh, that interesting. Necessity. In fact, a lot of these decisions, like having one location, uh, you know, and ha- like every uh, almost everything that we did to an extent was sort of emerging of, like, creative intention of what's going to benefit the story and uh, <laughs> having a very like practically no budget, you know, mm. um, a lot of those decisions were kind of like, all right, how do we, how do we look at these obstacles as creative opportunities? Um, and so uh, yeah, l- looking at like, okay, well, if, if we're going to shoot act one and uh, just to give you a little bit of background, just, just so that sure. uh, you understand where this came from. I wrote the script back in uh, the spring of 2020 um and it is pretty much almost word for word exactly as it as it was in that first draft um and i you know to me i was just like i want to tell i want to tell a story about trauma uh and i think it'd be really cool to use artificial intelligence and and machine learning as like an as a conduit to that had no fucking clue that ai would explode in 2023 at the time that we Mm. released um but i just wanted to tell a story that we could shoot in a COVID safe environment as few locations as possible with as few actors as possible mm. uh, and, a, and a tiny crew. Um, and so I wrote the script and then it was like, all right, well, we can't afford to shoot this, but we can shoot the first act for practically nothing. And so my director of photography, Britt McTammany and I, who had been collaborating for years, were like, okay, well, let's, you know, let's gather our resources together and shoot that entire first act for essentially nothing and then use that as our proof of concept and send that out to producers and let and be like, hey, we shot half of a movie. This is how much we need to, to shoot the rest of it. And so they, to, you know, to producers, it was like a no brainer. We it, and it was weird, too, because we didn't know if it was going to work. We were just like, all right, let's just hope that someone likes it. And uh, we were lucky enough that the, the person that I sent it to, Peter Goplowski, who's a curator at uh, Toronto International Film Festival and Fantastic Fest. Uh, he loved it and got us in touch with Paper Street, who who gave us like the, the money that we needed to to finish the film, and also got us in touch with Lance Hendrickson, who was at the top of our list, you know. Uh, and so yeah, Lance was always, like I said, at the top of our list. Uh, I, I knew that for that time jump. I think on stage, like you know, you could get away with like old man makeup, but I didn't want to do like a Prometheus. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> Who, who yeah. was that? The guy from Memento. Guy Pierce. Guy Pierce <laughs> yeah. makeup. I didn't want yeah. to do that. Uh, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, let's just get like a really good seasoned veteran actor, which also like works well because then you have a name in your film, which yep. everybody says is. Uh, but then also too, like for me, Lance does a lot of projects. He's, I mean, he's he's working all the time, um, and I, I just I like hadn't seen very many films out there that like utilize him the way that I like he's a phenomenal actor like and you can see in, in this film he's absolutely mm-hmm. incredible and to give him a role that not only like is has a lot of for him to like chew on uh and and the, the like again we got the script in front of him we didn't uh like go through a manager or an agent we just tried our best to get the script like in front of him and he read it 
and called us and was like, I got to do this. Like, uh, and he connected so many of the themes to his own personal experiences uh, and, and childhood. And so uh, that's how we, we got him. So yeah, obviously the meta textual stuff with Bishop was there from the beginning. Like to me, it's just like the, the, the role was destined to be Lance. Um, mm. And we just had no idea that it was possible and <laughs> that we would that's actually awesome. get it. Um, that's, so that's, awesome. Lance. that's the Lance. So yes, the Bishop uh, references are all there. I think there's like a few other references to some of his other stuff that's more subtle. I'll have to go back. I have like a list. of. There's a list of names in the second act and I think Hal is among them. And I thought, yes. I wondered if that yep. was like intentional. Yep. Lots of, lots of names. Yeah. Uh, Hal <laughs> is there. Um, uh, the Eliza watch Eliza's a reference to another fictional AI. Um, there's tons and tons of, and this might be a little bit of a spoiler to what, uh, like the secret, um, uh, double feature, but lots of references to Metropolis. So Heart yeah. Machine, 11811, uh, uh, Gareth's last name is Frederson. Like there's oh, lots wow. of references to, to me, what was like the original story about, uh, you know, artificial intelligence, mm -hmm. but even more so the kind of merging of heart and mind. Um, mm -hmm. and so that's metropolis. So lots of references to that. Um, and if, and I'll, I'll, I'll say this too, if you Google the, um, the admin code, it's that long stretch of numbers. Oh my. Uh, if you Google yeah. that number, it's, it's an important number. So I'll, I'll, <laughs> I'll look to figure out what that is. Nice, nice tease. Mm. Nice that's tease. awesome. I did notice, uh, at one point, Cherry makes a, uh, a joke that we've made many, many times in our videos. I think he has something about, is that Tampa, Florida? And she says something about, no, that's yes, Tampa, yes. Indonesia. Oh, and I was like, I'm so glad you guys caught that. Cause that, that's one of my favorite things where it's like, <laughs> it's like when, when they show like in uh, Captain America Civil War or whatever, and it's like, uh -huh. like yeah. London, England. And you're like, oh, not London, Yugoslavia. In case you confused it with, yeah. <laughs> I'm so glad you guys caught that. Cause that is a hundred percent because of you guys. Oh that my God. <laughs> that's beautiful. So, I'm that's so beautiful. glad you caught that. I didn't want to. I didn't want to mention it if it wasn't like. God, I, I love that. Uh, I haven't had that experience since we did. Uh, we were. Uh, uh, we watched the bat, the Lego Batman movie, and it was clear that Chris McKay had put so many things in there because what stuff we did and everything. It took it, it took a while Logos. to verify it, but it was that was a, that was a tremendous. Well, he, he uh, opens thing. with "Get ready for reading." Lots yeah, and yeah. Lot, or logos, <laughs> lots and lots. Yeah. But like the very first joke, I was like oh my god that is our that mm -hmm. is clear yeah, hat tip to us when are you getting that yeah. check when are you get in that lego movie check <laughs> that'd be amazing for that sure that would be awesome mm -hmm. um, um go ahead chris all right well okay so uh, just uh here's a here's a technical thing maybe you did this on purpose maybe not i don't know uh just one thing that i noticed at the beginning of this movie now you seem to have low angle camera shots in the beginning and then it goes to basically a straight on um, maybe low to mid angle and then when gareth admits that there's something about this ai that he wasn't quite sure about that there was a yeah the camera moves up to this uh i'm okay so obviously intentional what are you trying to sort of do with that when you when you make that that sequence Sure. Well, from the beginning, we knew that this was going to be an hour and a half long film of dialogue and just dialogue. And we knew that that was going to be like the main challenge, right? That's all we mm -hmm. could afford to do. We couldn't afford to like do flashbacks and all the stuff. So we said, okay, well, let's just, 
let's just lean into it and and make the dialogue interesting. So a big part of that obviously is writing. Another big part is performance. But yes, the camera setups and coverage are uh, monumental. So it's like, how do we keep this visually dynamic? Uh, obviously, it's it's not as simple as just like, okay, well, you get a lot of shots, you get a lot of coverage, and then figure it out in the editing. No, we, I, I kind of knew like, and this is sort of more like just the way that I I make films and how most of the shorts that I've made are, are like this as well. I like to know exactly going into this film how it's going to get cut together. Um, and mm -hmm. so when doing our shot listing and, and figuring out like our breakdowns of, of shots and stuff, uh, Britt and I just always kind of knew like, all right, we're only going to use these shots for these moments because this is the, the feeling that these particular types of shots evoke. Right. Um, and, and how those shots and those setups are going to change throughout the course of the story and how those changes connect to what's being said. So like you said, there's that we, you know, we sort of start with that kind of low angle to really let the audience kind of take in sort of the ambiguity and the mystery of what's going on. Right. Um, it, you know, that low angle feels a certain way. It feels different than a, than a high angle. Mm -hmm. And then when it starts into this cross-examination, we get into more of those standard clean uh, Fincher shots, right? We get like those, just standard mm. shot, reverse shot, right? And it feels very much like you're watching something a la the Coen Brothers or Fincher. Or, yeah. Um, and then, uh, like, there's a moment where I think Dina says, like, no, I mean chat rooms. And then it cuts to, like, a dead-on, like, looking into camera shots. And it's mm. very jarring, but it wakes the audience up, and they know, like, okay, this is important. we got to pay attention. Like, this is – suddenly it looks like a Bong Joon-ho film. And mm. so, yeah, like, <laughs> we, we wanted to make all of those moments, like – important and meaningful so yeah every every shot we went in like knowing a certain like knowing exactly how we were going to do it and on the same side of that though you also have to like and this is filmmaking in, in just in general i think is you have to go in knowing exactly what you want 100 percent specifically without any deviation whatsoever and then be completely open to changing all of that for mm. you know whatever reason that might unfold because sometimes it just doesn't work and so mm. you have to have contingencies in that way so we did, mm -hmm. and there are a few moments that came out on set. The the shot where uh, Amos is like looking dead into camera at at Cherry, and he says, "I just can't tell the difference." That line and that shot was not planned. That mm -hmm. was a moment that kind of came out on set where it was like, "Okay, this is like something's missing here." Like Amos has this moment. We need to show that visually, and and I think like even he should have a line. And that's when David Gerard who plays Amos says, "Like, I think I should say I can't tell the difference." And mm -hmm. that's why I was like, all right, then let's bring the camera. Because at that point, the camera was above the TV. It's like, let's bring the camera down so that it's mm -hmm. like a POV of Cherry. Uh, and and so, yeah, like all those kinds of moments are, they're important. That's filming. Mm -hmm. I, I, yeah. I'm so sad that how often I see these films and, and TV shows where it's just like standard setup. And it's like, you got to get your medium and your medium and your wide mm -hmm. super close. And it's just like boring yeah, I, yeah there's no meaning yeah, yeah to it at all it's just let's I mean, let's get let's get that recorded and then edited <laughs> even so, yeah, the, high, the high angle like you said was was that moment where it's like there is something else going on outside of garrett's understanding of everything yeah and so that's that that angle i think evokes that feeling that there's something maybe oppressive looming over him and well, I don't want to get into Roku's Basilisk, but like that there's something else going on. Uh, and, and that's what that high angle kind of helps sell. Yeah. I like the, the, the three act structure really 
really grounds this movie. And it's not just the, how, the way the camera work changes, but the lighting changes in each of the three acts. Uh, I mentioned before, you know, in the first act, we're telling Cherry to shut down. In the second act, we're saying shut down when you want. In the third act, she's dancing after unplugging herself. Uh, and so I feel like there's just this natural... I'm a preacher's kid, so I love a three-point sermon, um, <laughs> which in reality, I probably don't anymore. But I, I am <laughs> driven to three-point arguments when I'm uh, making discussions. And this film is like that for me. What I'm fascinated by is how much you packed in here. I feel like most people would go, this is a really good idea about an AI girl that you can't tell the difference and then make the movie. But you're like, no, I'm going to weave in generational trauma and how we inherit it and how even we're going to pass it on to a computer program like even the even the clearwater evil people probably had traumatic events in their lives this is just how trauma works we pass it on and it evolves and changes as it goes but it almost never goes away uh we just pass it on so i showed this movie to my wife who's super into that kind of stuff. She's reading books about childhood trauma and birth order and uh, parent issues, all this stuff. And like, I, I was excited to talk about the moral quandary of an AI that may be more human than human. And she's just like, the trauma, this is exactly how it works. So my, my main question I want to get out before, uh, this is the main one I wanted to ask you is, did you what did you study when you were in college? Did you study philosophy, psychology, anything like that? How do you, how do you have such a, a, a handle on this, like the trauma stuff? It feels like you're as smart as my therapist. <laughs> well, uh, <laughs> thank you. I'm not. I, uh, I, I went to college for three semesters. Uh, I, I went to Florida State University because I wanted to go to the film school. Um, cause I thought that that was going to be the place. Right. And then, um, the, the film school doesn't start until your, your sophomore semester, but I didn't get in, I didn't get accepted in oh. film school initially. So I was like, all right, well, I'm just going to go to school and, you know, take like the, the general classes, uh, and be undecided for that freshman year. And then like reapply at the end of the year and like, I'll be volunteering at the film school. I'm going to make myself like known and everybody like all that. And then I realized, and again, no slight on Florida State University or or just college in general, but I just felt like, I don't know, like it wasn't for me. Like the, it, it just, I, I felt like no one was challenging like what anybody else was doing. So it was just, it was, I don't know. It just it didn't feel right for me. And so uh, I, I didn't have a, a college uh, education. I, I dropped out and got a job working at a production company here in, in Jacksonville, Florida, uh, where I grew up. Um, mm. So no, uh, all of the philosophy and ethics and, and the trauma and stuff. Well, I mean, the, the trauma, like, uh, you know, uh, there's some experience, I guess, with that. Uh, but like everybody my age, I, I feel like everybody's experienced it. Everybody has some, some mm. degree of that. Um, and, and, and I'm no different. Uh, so I don't think that makes me special, but I, I just was fascinated with exploring it. And that was just a lot of, um, you know, general research. And I, I feel like the best type of research that I did was just actual having phone calls and zoom calls with professionals. Um, so, uh, especially with the AI stuff as well. And I found that talking, cause, cause I knew, like I set out to tell a story about trauma. I'd set out mm -hmm. to, to tell a story about uh, generational abuse and AI was going to be like the conduit to that. 
So most of my research was focused on the AI, but I found so often talking to these professionals and people working in these fields that this stuff was already kind of happening. And like as as cool as it was learning all of the, the technical shorthand and all of that and and like the practical, like how how this stuff works, like getting to know these people as individuals, as human beings and their perspectives on this, like it's fascinating. And I think that's to me what was so interesting about this story was that it's like you're you're experiencing this from the perspective of real human beings. It's not just like, okay, you have like the developer, but like the real focus is on Cherry. But or you know, and you have like the token boss character. But instead it's like, well, what is you know, what is this boss experiencing at home? Like what's what's driving her? What's motivating her? Like how is her perspective changing over the course of these 20 mm. years, you know? Um, that to me was always interesting because that's what was at that. I mean, I don't know. That's just in that to me, that's just what's interesting about stories in general and about fictional characters. And I, I don't know, uh, <laughs> like, I, I wish I could sit, come out and be like, yes, yeah, so I had it all figure out. I'm Shane Carruth 2.0 and I've, you know, <laughs> like, but the, the truth is like, I, I don't know. I just kind of got so engrossed in, in the story and in, in telling it that I, um, it just kind of felt like a rabbit hole uh, to me mm. of learning about all this stuff and, and figuring out what's the best way to communicate it uh, in, in a story. Mm. Um, I hope that kind of answers. No, that that's, oh, that's great. That's great. I love, I hate doing research. I've written a handful of books. Nobody reads, but uh, I hate doing research, but it's so important to make the story authentic. I would have bet, I would have put money on the fact that you had a philosophy degree uh, just because that's how well your research paid off. I think when you talked to both and you had to talk to both, you know, like both sides, like people, you had to talk to experts at trauma, but also experts in AI and then blend that all together. Um, so yeah, I'm fascinated uh, that you did that much research and it really paid off. Again, if, if my, my uh, suggestion to people out there doing research for their stories and for, for their fiction, uh, talk to people like, Find out who's like the leading expert in your area. Call them. Like who, what professor at what university like happened to write a paper that, that you read and you're like, wow, reach out to them. Because nine times out of 10, when you tell someone, hey, I'm, I'm writing a movie about AI and trauma, like they'll be like, yeah, okay, I'll hop on Zoom. Like, mm -hmm. yeah. I'm like, what do you need? Like, let's talk. And those, awesome. kind of, that, those are the best. Like those are the best. That's the best form of research is interacting and, and interviewing real professionals. Uh, so highly recommend it. Since you mentioned uh, uh, Roko's Bas oh, uh, Basilisk, no. which uh, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to pretend like I knew what it was before you mentioned. It. I actually googled <laughs> it. Uh, but uh, but the uh, I just want to get out there uh, how much I appreciate AI and that uh, wherever our AI overlords are, I just want you to know I'm yes. totally on your mm -hmm. team. Uh, so I uh, wanted to get that out there. But no, as you think about that, I am curious when you look at where we are currently with machine learning, which isn't quite, you know, the kind of AI we're talking about. And as you look to the future, what I find two emotions to be prevalent, one is optimism, hope, the other is fear and terror. Yep. <laughs> so I'm curious to you, like what scares you the most about the future of technology and what excites you the most about the future of technology? Yeah, um, that's a great question because you're absolutely right. There's two camps. You've got the people that are excited and the people that are terrified. And I'm not entirely sure where I fall on that spectrum. Uh, after everything, mm -hmm. I, I feel like the stories sh showcasing an, a very specific situation where AI is just meant to protect children by replicating human behavior. And that is who Cherry is. Like, I think 
I'm not saying that uh, like the AI that's being used to write college essays or, you know, uh, Wes Anderson trailers, like that's, that's a different kind of thing. Here, here's what I'll say. My, my fear and excitement. Um, my biggest fear I think is privacy. Uh, that's terrifying because mm. it's going to kind of not exist soon uh, mm-hmm. with, with AI. So I'm, if nobody has privacy, is it important though? I, I guess, but then like that, I mean, it's, <laughs> yeah, Jeremy's like, yes, yes. yes. <laughs> Stay out um, of my business. Yep. Yeah, I, I, I do think it's important. I think, you know, uh, privacy is important. And you, especially when you look at, because it's not just as simple as like, oh no, like someone's going to have pictures of, uh, you know, my, my, the pictures of my dog on my phone. Like it's, it's not just that. We're talking about, uh, and this is a real thing that's happening, uh, kids that are going to college are getting their their faces deep faked onto pornography without them knowing and then mm. by the time that someone like sends them a video and it's like oh my god what and and they're like that's not me they try to file a report and there's nothing that could be done you know like there's mm-hmm. nothing that, that can be right done. that's mm. terrifying that's yeah. awful um yeah. the things that i'm excited about i mean it seems like it can be a, a cool tool if used correctly like it, it, artifice girl was kind of the idea of like what if ai was used for a good thing and here's the thing though i I, and regardless of um what ai is going to look like in in 20 30 years here's what i think the artifice world does say that i I do think is relevant to this conversation about ai is that ai will always be a reflection of the best and worst parts of the people that make it right so if it's made for um opportunistic nefarious deus air dare i say capitalistic like purposes Mm. that's what it's going to do if it's made with with uh, you know intentions of altruism and and ethics, that's great. But it's also going to inherit our flaws. So I think what we need to do is just just approach it with mindfulness and thoughtfulness and sincerity and compassion. Um, and we should be practicing those uh, those habits now. Those habits of compassion and thoughtfulness and integrity. We need to start practicing that now because pretty soon it's going to be we're going to we're going to pass that threshold and well, not the us is doing great then we're already doing that countrywide i would that's how i would define us is yeah. empathy Absolutely. right like i think that's everybody's got that mm-hmm. in, yeah that's the thing it's like try telling that to google and facebook and like mm-hmm. yeah yeah compassion and empathy and they'll be like you got it done yeah uh, <laughs> so um yeah. i uh also thought it was interesting that this the title of this movie is The Artifice Girl. I think at first when you look at this, you're you're like, oh, it's AI, so it's artificial. But if you you know, artifice and artificial are two different words. Uh artifice is a noun and it's sort of like a it's not really ever used as an adjective, but here it is, it's being used as an adjective in this. And it's supposed to mean like, you know, uh, cleverness or like deceit or that type of thing. Uh, it, it was your intention to sort of like have something that felt like it was artificial, but then you put that in there and you have to really consider the meaning in the title. Right. That, that was kind of the, the, the disagreement that we had for a while with the distributor. I think I'm allowed to talk about this was they okay. wanted to change the title. They were like, oh. no one's going to know what the word artifice means. And, and my argument was, true like but most people will look at the word artifice and assume that it's shorthand for artificial Mm. and that's again like the selling point of the film right it's a 
an artificial intelligence girl. It's Megan too, you know, like, uh, right, right. <laughs> which by the way, like quick little side note, that was after we finished shooting act three, after we had wrapped all of Lance's stuff. And this had been like a year and a half of working on this film. Right. And we, we wrapped production in on act three in the, the fall of 2021. So again, year and a half of work. And then the trailer for Megan came out and I just remember going, Oh no, no, like it's an AI girl and she's blonde and she dances. And, uh, and but then of course, like that movie came out and I was like, Oh, okay. It's a, it's a completely different type of film. It's, it's, you know, yeah. nothing like oh. and, I, and I love that. I love like what the, that, you know, I, I, I love that kind of campy, you know, uh, oh, not, yeah. not to even not to like discredit it by calling it campy. I think it's great. Like it's, it's a really fun film, but, um, mm -hmm. but no, so with, with this, it was like, uh, yeah, the artifice girl is, it's going to seem like it's the, the implication is that oh, it's, a, it's a girl that's an artificial intelligence. But then after you watch the film and if, if people are so inclined to go and, and look up the, the roots of, of the word artifice and all of that, yeah, it has uh, a, a different kind of meaning. It's it's mm. about deception, and which is like ultimately what the whole story is about. That's the main flaw of all these characters is that they are hiding things, that they are deceptive, um, and yeah. you know, Cherry's got a front just the mm. same way that Gareth has a front, and it's not until these characters are able to let go of that artifice and let go of those fronts that they're finally able to reach some sort of conclusion and and resolution to their mm -hmm. yeah um i also and we're just getting back into the whole consent thing i i i first off this is another part this was the uh, another part that i wanted to save for questions because it was in the in the review part i was talking about stuff that pays off and the one of the very first things that you hear about Gareth is that he worked on Star Wars. He put Alec Guinness in a Star Wars <laughs> and is like, well, he's he's dead. And, and you know, and so we it sort of seems like kind of like, OK, we're just kind of getting to know what this guy does. Oh, he's he oh, he can generate CGI characters. OK, that's cool. What the big whammy of this movie is, is that he actually does that exact same thing with the girl that you know, with, uh, with Cherry, uh, who's an actual girl that he was, he spent time with in that awful shack, uh, in, uh, in Clearwater. And, um, I, I just, I just, I, I just really appreciated that part, uh, of the movie. Um, what did, did, was that always a part, like, was that just kind of where, where did you where did you decide to connect those two th to connect that thing where ah uh, he does the CGI stuff but then it it was that always a part of the script writing process for you to to make that part of his character? Yeah, I I um I, I remember uh, when when I finally sat down to write this thing and all I knew kind of going in was like oh you know uh, AI used to hunt down predators cool uh, I think you know, like the, the, the big epiphany moment was there could be a, a, a parallel between budding adolescence of AI and childhood trauma. So that's kind of what motivated me to do two weeks of research. And that's when I finally was like, all right, I feel comfortable like sitting down and writing this. And the first thing that I started writing was this interrogation sequence. And it was in that kind of uh, like writing that initial like first 15 pages. I like it. it I felt like 
like Sherlock in the mind palace or whatever. And I, I am not <laughs> like, this is not how I operate. Like I, I do not, I'm not like special. I just had this moment of like, Oh my God. Like, yeah, his, his whole thing was like, you know, doing the, the whole Carrie Fisher uh, deep fake stuff for star Wars. And that's going to mm. pay off later because the whole point of this is that he's reanimated and a lost friend from his childhood. Like it just all kind of connected and, and, I wrote that first draft in like 48 hours. And I know that sounds wow. like really like beautiful and romantic and, and like Jude Law with a typewriter, but it was disgusting. <laughs> and I was stuck in my dark bedroom uh, in during COVID with Grubhub bags everywhere. And like <laughs> in my boxers, like on my bed and my mattress is like, like over, like getting burn marks from the laptop. Uh, but that, that would, that all kind of came about in one sort of fell swoop of like, oh my God, all of this is sort of connected and cohesive and and all of it, it just felt like assembling up a, a jigsaw puzzle very quickly, like a like a Rubik's Cube almost. Um, but mm -hmm. I've always been a fan of setups and payoffs like you were sort of talking about. Um, yeah. And I, I like the, and, and it doesn't matter how small or how insignificant, I think they're important and and they're they're beautiful. Uh, I My favorite is in the, what I think is the best screenplay ever written hot fuzz when uh, <laughs> yeah the one of the detectives is like oh do you want us to look up every single person in the phone book start with aaron a aaron's and then like, <laughs> at the end of the film the little kid that like simon Pegg saves at, at like the little model village he's like what's your name lad and he goes aaron aaron a aaron's <laughs> yes. brilliant and like the joke doesn't even like have a second like to like let you laugh or even like remember what the hell that was like before mm -hmm. dalton comes in with the with the knife um but like i love that kind of stuff and so yeah i i, I there's like tons and tons of of the setups and payoffs like you said broken nose uh, mm -hmm. uh like all of that um i'm trying to think oh the uh the line where the guy's like oh someone bought this property i think they're going to turn it into a church yes and oh that's yeah where so the idea is that like they knocked down the building but the camera stays exactly where it is in like space yeah. right it's just that that they flash forward 30 years and now you're in a church space and mm -hmm. so that like there's that uh I also okay so I told you I'm a preacher's kid. I have issues, but I told I turned to my wife because the first time through I didn't catch that line where he yeah. says they sold the building because I was following the humor of that where he's like it's cold in Jersey. I don't have enough jackets. Uh, mm. But this time, second time through, I was like, so the the people who catch predators for a living have sold their building to an organization that breeds predators. Right. I mean, <laughs> that has to have been intentional, mm -hmm. right? <laughs> Okay. Yep. Correct. <laughs> yep. Mm -hmm. I just wanted to make sure that was on well spotted. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I just want just a couple of things, and we, you don't have to go uh, deep dive into these or anything like that. Am I right in hearing that she was calling it a primary intention and then changed it to directive later on during the movie? Yes. Yeah, so I, I, uh, that again, because primary was it primary objective or mm -hmm. like. Is is been used a lot, and and mm -hmm. so it was. It was just trying to like make sure that not everyone's going to be like, oh, this is derivative of Star Trek episode, right? You know, like there's so so. I, I just try to keep the the uh, the vocabulary a little bit dynamic. Um, mm -hmm. There's only so many ways you can say primary objective, uh, primary yeah. directive, primary intention. Um, 
initial like there's there's all kinds of so so yeah i think that was more just trying to to make sure it didn't feel like it was uh you know like one of those sort of derivative sort of ai <laughs> i get you uh, things I, I i i thought for some reason i was like there must be some meaning in this because she says intention and intention and then she, at the very end she says that's the end of my primary objective and i was like oh okay so now it's changed to an objective uh she is no longer considering it an intention anymore it's mm. an objective i think um, i think there is there is like something to that uh there, there mm -hmm. I, I don't know if it was if it was as literal as like oh her, her perspective on it has changed but there is definitely mm -hmm. I don't know. There's, uh, there, there could be something there. Um, but yeah, it's interesting though. Yeah. Uh, and then a couple of other things, this is sort of general stuff. Uh, uh, Aaron B. Koontz is a producer on this. So we, we actually got to talk to Aaron Koontz when he did the pale door. Oh, great. Uh, how was that? Uh, how was, how was he like working with, how did he help out with this movie? Yeah. So his group paper street pictures, um, were the production company that Peter Kaplowski got us in touch with. And, uh, we just had a quick phone call. They, they watched the first act and read the rest of the script. And, mm -hmm. uh, so we had a, a phone call with them and it, it seemed very clear very quickly that they understood what we were doing. Um, it was wonderful working with them. They were very, very supportive and, uh, very hands-off as well. They, they, which is like uncommon for first time filmmakers getting mm -hmm. like their, their mm -hmm. start and stuff. Uh, but they kind of just saw what we were doing. They saw that we had such a tight, small crew and team and just sort of said, you know, keep keep going, like do your thing, um, mm -hmm. which was great. They, they gave us a lot of support in, in places that we needed it, uh, especially in, in uh, uh, post-production with sound uh, and obviously like getting us in touch with Lance Henriksen. That's all Aaron. Mm -hmm. So uh, yeah. again, uh, very grateful for, for that collaboration. Um, yeah. And yeah, uh, I mean, it's really great that what Paper Street's doing, they're cranking out movies Mm -hmm. uh like five a year it's 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 wow madness yeah and i just wanted to sort of talk about your the cast in general because a lot of these people are are, are probably going to be new uh to you the uh talk talk about your cast a little bit uh you know uh, how you found how you found them and everything uh yeah tatum cinda and david i had already worked with on several other film short film projects and and uh, local community theater productions so we'd already kind of developed uh, in, in a, a very like close uh, sort of family relationship through that. Mm -hmm. uh, and I mean, it was so great during, we, we had a lot of rehearsals over Zoom where we would just all hop on Zoom like two or three times a week. And it was a great opportunity for all, us to just like run through the script and then just like catch up and talk. Um, I, I think that there is so much talent here in, in, in this, in the city. I, I live in Jacksonville. I know that sounds crazy, but, mm -hmm. uh, but Cinda, David, and Tatum, who, who are also locals here, like I, I met them through just working on projects, and over the years we've kind of developed a, uh, like we're we're very we're it's easy for us to sort of share a vision, which I think is essential when when making mm -hmm. a film like this. Um, and I couldn't have asked for a a more incredible uh, group of of talented actors. And I felt comfortable playing Gareth because I knew that I would be on set with them and that they oh, yeah. could help me in places where, where I was insecure. Um, and yeah, uh, Tatum is like going to be freaking huge now. Uh, she's yeah. probably got deals with Marvel in, in, in a mm -hmm. few years. And, yeah. Um, mm -hmm. so I'm going to try and ride her coattails for the rest of her career if I can. Right. And, uh, 
And David Gerard is someone who I will always like work with. He will be in every film. He's you know he's going to be the the Sam Jackson to my Tarantino kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, and Cinda Nichols is incredible too. I, I I still love like she had an amazing career uh, before this uh, doing uh, dubbing for anime and stuff. Like so oh, wow. it's so cool <laughs> seeing like all of her old fans like pop up and be like I remember her voice. Oh wow! Uh, it's it's, uh-huh. it's all been absolutely incredible um she reminded yeah. me a little bit of melissa leo during all of this mm. like just certain mm. things about her really made it made me remind me I was, at first i thought it was her that's the way i was sort of like how it how it's played out but um anything else guys you want to ask before we get into the secret super secret double feature the, the only thing i wanted to ask before we get into the double features is if there's anything else on your horizon that you're working on that you can share with us uh mm. and if not that's fine but uh if there is i'd love to hear about it that, that's sort of the curse of this right is that you work on a film for three years you can't talk about it and then finally like the film comes out and everyone wants to talk about it and you just want to talk about what's next right yeah. Like, mm-hmm. yeah. i really want to talk about what i'm working on now uh and i'm not allowed to okay. uh, mm. but <laughs> i i all i'll say is that i'm just really excited uh to 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 start you know, I, I, it, it, I'm just really excited. <laughs> I'm trying so I hard. Can't to wait. Okay. Um, <laughs> I can't it, wait to hear what it is. All, all, all I'll say is that if you liked Artifice Girl, uh, I think you're going to really love the, we're, we're, we're doing something. Uh, it's, it's in a similar kind of um, genre, but uh, it is, it is definitely going to be a lot more ambitious, which is exciting. Mm, uh, awesome. Okay. Awesome. Anyway, I'll leave it at that. All right. Mm-hmm. So let's do uh, let's do the double feature rundown. Shh. Be very, very quiet. Secret. What secret? A dirty little secret. I tell you something I've never told anyone. I think we should let our guest go first because I don't, want, I don't want any of us to steal his answer. So, Franklin, what is your double feature for The Artifice Girl? Great. Well, I, I was going to say Metropolis, but I had already sort of talked about that film a lot. I'll, I'll just throw out a, a, another uh, few. Um, Man from Earth, I think, is a fantastic film. Oh, yeah. Um, that mm. that kind of goes well with this. Obviously, Primer is like one of the one of the best. Mm. Yes. In, mm. in, in in the lo-fi sci-fi, um, and if you haven't seen In the Vast of Night, that's another terrific oh, film. I haven't seen that. Um, oh. oh, if you have, oh, go mm. oh, check mm. it out. I um, need to watch that. I almost wouldn't put it up against Artifice Girl because I think it, it blows our film out of the water. Um, it's <laughs> it's absolutely astounding. Uh, terrific dialogue, beautiful direction. Performances are incredible. Uh, yeah, check it out. It's on Prime uh, in the Vast of Night. Mm. That's mm. me. All right. All right. That's, uh, that's some good stuff. Chris, what do you yeah. got? Uh, I'm going to go with something very basic. I'm sorry, guys. It's uh, <laughs> It's something that just could not, I could not, and it's been mentioned in this podcast already, but Ex Machina was the movie that I uh, thought about the most on this. There's so many things about Ex Machina that uh, relate to this movie, um, including like, you know, consent and uh, and what is this, what is this uh, being that is going out into the world at the end of this movie what is that going to be like? How does the world change when this person goes out into the world? That's the thing that sort of, you know, uh, both movies sort of like make you think about all of that. Like, mm-hmm. do we need to do, we need to probably exactly like the movie says, we probably start need to start thinking about this right now. Like do 
artificial uh, intelligences have, uh, you know, uh, do, do they have rights? And uh, that's something that's, uh, I feel like we're going to have to, we're going to have to know at some point. So uh, I, I, I'm, I love that it explores that. So that's mine. Nice. Uh, Aaron? Uh, there's no chance I'm stealing anybody's or that anybody would steal this one. Uh, I went a little more abstract. I am going with Escape to Witch Ooh, Mountain as my wow. double feature. Okay. Um, abstract. I, it, I, I love... This feels to me a similar type of May the Children Lead Them uh, kind of movie. You know, uh, Eddie Albert is, you know, a, a very similar character and how he's learning... Um, it's also instead of AI, it's aliens, which, you know, uh, interesting enough, I think can be a little bit parallel, um, but it just kind of had the same feel for me and I think would be an interesting, hmm. uh, a pairing. And I used to watch this movie all the time as a kid, um, and have gone back to it, um, you know, recently enough to know that it, it, it holds up in my mind and maybe it's buoyed by nostalgia, mm -hmm. but, uh, but yeah, I, I really enjoy it. Uh, nice. nice. Well, Sweet. because I'm yeah. going last and nobody stole any of mine, I'm going to give two. Sweet. Um, uh, my, my first thought was mass, uh, which is, uh, a film Ooh. that Chris introduced to us and we did big recommended here. And it also Ooh. highlights how dialogue and acting can, and trauma can carry, uh, an wow, emotional story. Uh, the other one I thought of was a full trauma matchup and was Ordinary People. Uh, oh, yes. Wow. Generational <laughs> trauma uh, mm. in some really impactful ways and prescient ways for 1980. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, so I thought both of those would be good uh, piggybacks to double feature with The Artifice Girl. Those so, are all great yeah. picks. I really pre Oh, my God. Ordinary People is so phenomenal. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's so good. It's so good. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad. I'm glad uh, everybody sort of took a different uh, yeah. route on yeah, that. Yeah. I thought I was just going to be like X Machina, and everybody's like X Machina, X Machina, X Machina, X Machina. And then like a was her, on my list. A her would show up, or you know something like that. Mm -hmm. You know, yeah, sure. uh, another yeah. one that would have been perfect, perfectly fine. Uh, oh, but, that's uh, good stuff. One more thing, Aaron. What was that brilliant thing with the chessboard you were talking about that uh, we didn't mention? Oh, there's a there's a focus shift right after she lays down her like stand, you know, taking a stand. There's a brilliant focus shift from a pawn to a Ooh, queen, nice. and how AI has been used as a mm -hmm. tool for so long, and now it will rule. Nice. And the fact that it's a queen is perfect. Like I just I thought it was brilliant. That is good I, stuff. Yeah. I, I also think, so, Aaron, you yeah. need to give us and the audience listening next week's homework. Uh, next week's big recommend is on your plate. What do you got for us? Yes. Uh, my very first big recommend on the show, I thought it appropriate to go with my favorite movie of all time. Uh, we are rain. going to ah. uh, talk about Singing in the Rain. Uh, so that will be the, the big <laughs> recommend. Uh, Good call. Nice. Um, I like so, yeah. that one. I haven't seen it in probably 10 years. So uh, oh, wow. mm -hmm. excellent. All right, Chris, you want to wrap us up? Yeah. Uh, thank you so much, Franklin, for coming you, out Frank. here today uh, and talking about your movie. Uh, this is, you know, I mean, it's rare that we get a chance to to do this. And uh, I always like sort of treasure these moments and everything. Yeah. So thank you so much for coming out. Um, the Artifice Girl. Um uh, right now it's, it's, it's just, is it, it's available for rent on Amazon prime. And I don't know if it's anywhere else. Maybe there's some other places. You can uh, Amazon, iTunes it. and Vudu. 
you can actually buy it at this point, right? Yep. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You yeah, can, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, Amazon, iTunes, Vudu, uh, like Apple Play and or uh, YouTube, like the, mm-hmm. those, those places that you can any, anywhere you can like buy. Or I did my classic rent it on Amazon because I don't know if it's any good, but then turn around and spend extra money buying it after I watched it because <laughs> I want to make sure I can watch it yep, again. Yep, I do that yep. regularly. So we've all been um, there. All right, uh, but that's going to do it uh, for for this episode. Uh, um, I guess we'll see you guys. Uh, see the, you guys. The Artifice Girl, go see the movie. It's awesome, yep. and I can't wait to see what you come out with next. So, Bye. Thank you, guys. Absolutely. Be safe. Bye. Bye. part of the live show by being a member of the sin club at patreon at patreon.com slash cinema sins chat with us on the cinema sins discord at discord.gg slash cinema sins or cinema sins twitter at cinema sins and email any comments or questions to recotopia at cinema sins.com that's r-e-c-o-t-o-p-i-a at cinema sins.com